This is the Earth Regenerators Podcast. Take some breaths together. Close your eyes if you would like to. We are stood in separate places, looking down into a beautiful valley. This is a place whose spirit you remember and know well. You know the animals, you recognize the sound of the birds, the vegetation looks like home to you. The valley has been carved into the earth many thousands of years ago by the river that still flows along it, and you can sense how ancient it is. We start to walk down to the bottom of the valley, feeling as we descend that we are descending closer and closer to the earth's heart and wisdom. Meandering down to avoid the plants and rocks listening to the birds sing, we see each other. We head towards each other, towards a door made of light and vines, right by the river. As we reach the door, we greet each other. We hold hands. We take three deep breaths together. And we walk through the door into the light. Hello and welcome to the Earth Regenerators podcast. This is the first one that is hosted by the members of Culture Centre, which is from the Earth Regenerators community. The Culture Centre was set up as a space within the Earth Regenerators community where we gather and hold space for Earth Regenerators to explore the healing power of creativity to connect with our authentic creative selves with the aim of coming into a deeper relation with the earth and its rhythms, ourselves and each other, with an enriched imagination. My name is Sarah Woodrow. I'm an unschooling mum, artist and experienced designer. I'm based in Cambridge, England. I'm joined by Claire Atwell, whose artwork was used for the cover of Joe Brewer's book. Her artwork is working with communities to create art she is based in Canada, and I'm also joined by Niels Devisher, who is a Berlin-based multimedia visual artist, writer, and digital creator who will also moderate the discussion. We have been working together on creating the Culture Centre and some of the events that we run there for a, around a year now, meeting regularly, and I'm so proud to call these people my friends. So, hi guys, is there anything you'd like to add to my introduction? Hi, this is really <laughs> wonderful to be even having this conversation and thank you for that, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, really looking forward. Thank you for hosting this conversation and yeah, looking forward to diving in. Cool. Is there anything you'd like to add about your own personal journey, Claire? 
Yeah, just um, I I think um, I would like to bring in my growing up in South Africa, which had a really profound impact on me um, as to the power that art could have um, in connecting us in a really embodied way to feel a sense of identity and commonality with others um, in a way that logic had broken down. And that was during apartheid and sort of as we were coming out of apartheid and people could see each other in a way that, you know, we'd been part of conversations that I knew the logic was like, you could not use a logical argument for the way that art was able to bridge people. And you couldn't separate people out because they of different, um, different stripes um, because they each saw themselves in that identity and which was very powerful. And I think I've sort of carried that with me into everything that um, that I've done with art. And maybe one other piece is just to say, I see art on a continuum. I think this is important to define this. So I see art on a continuum where I started off doing fine art at university and it was very much um, about the... Um, it was very useful in terms of developing skills and ways of looking and and um, all of the skill set needed. But it very much feeds into art, the professionalization of art, which actually becomes part of what I think is the commodification of art. And art is this um, sort of art as the thing, as opposed to art as part of a process that can engage a community. And um, and I saw that while there's not there's no right or wrong on that continuum, it's just that everything seemed to be put onto that um, far end of the continuum. And as a result, art has tended to, in my from what I was seeing, art was kind of on the periphery of society, whereas um, art that was part of the a community's process and where they had a sense of ownership and art wasn't the thing it was just the carrier for the you know the sense of identity and symbolism um it uh, it was at the center of the society and so that's like diametrically opposite ways that art was operating so i just wanted to put that in there as a sort of starting piece yeah yeah it's really interesting to me because i started out doing fine art at university and then um, went into the corporate world doing design. So really kind of got embedded in kind of all of that. <laughs> and then um, what I've been doing for the last four years or so is trying to kind of deprogram that out of my creative pro pro uh, process where I'm like, trying to find ways to use art to connect to the earth and its cycles and rather than just do it to make money. Mm. And yeah, I really love what Claire, how you kind of distinguish between art as sort of the outcome and art as the process and like wanting to put more of the focus on the process of like, how do we as a group come to sort of, how do we convene around this this question of 
or, or like how do we come together and sort of um focus as a group um the, the togetherness and the co-creating rather than on the specific thing that we are creating and i think that is really important in a world where there's become so much focus for artists on sort of um yeah the the output um and i think yeah i'm just really excited to see where this conversation can lead us and how um like as you're both doing how art can become again more embedded within sort of its ecological context or communal context and also help to maybe restore some of the relationships that uh we clearly have lost towards or towards each other um yeah so i'm really excited niels could i add something in there i uh because it's coming up for me right now is um in a way it's and you were talking about this sarah is there's that deep programming that really needs to happen and um i trained in arts administration and um you know i had this thing about wanting to make sure that if i was going to be putting an art show together so i'd be working for um sort of some big uh, uh, the British Columbia Festival for the Arts was one of them. We were putting on a showcase of of art and um, bringing it down to um, a different communities. And I kept, I was offered all these different gallery spaces to show these showcases. But I kept, I kept realizing that the place, the locations were kind of out of the way. And the only people who would go there were people deliberately going and looking for that art. And one of the places we were offered was the top story of a shopping center. And um, everyone was pretty, um, it was actually a pretty nice space, um, but it was a commercial space. And everyone was like, ah, you can't put it in there. And I was like, well, that's where people go. And that's where a lot of people would see it. And we 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 did it really well. We got, um, but it was, um, to my mind, it's like trying to, um, we've kind of made museums and art galleries, not that there's anything wrong with the art galleries, but it's like separating it out from people. It's putting it in a particular kind of way. Um, and it, to me, that's so delightful to have somebody who would never go to an art gallery, stumble across something and be delighted by it. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I guess I wondered what was going on there that we had to be um, kind of see art in a particular way, appreciate it in a particular way. I, uh, anyway, it was like, I just needed to mess with that and find out um, and sort of play with it. And I realized the deep programming, the programming is so deep that um, that, that interferes uh, with our being able to even understand how to use art um yeah and I have some things to bring into that but I don't want to kind of go on too far <laughs> I think um one of the things I was thinking about in preparation for this conversation was art is often a mirror for culture and communities it creates culture but it also reflects the culture and I feel like because we have been in this phase of kind of 
out of control cultural evolution Mm. that that has also happened to art and we now don't have that grounding with what we're doing that we need so a part of what we're doing is trying to figure out how to ground ourselves back in to a kind of regenerative culture where we do heal those relationships and we do heal ourselves because we've been damaged by that deprogramming is a is a process of healing so yeah I don't know if you've got anything to add to that Claire well, I was actually just thinking of some comments that um, came up recently during um, one of Joe Brewer's presentations, the Baratura updates, I think it was last week, where we were talking about practicing, like practice, 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 and and also just sometimes taking things way out of what you would normally expect. So um, Benji Ross, um, in um, in bringing the um, on through bioregional catalysts. Um, invited people that were participating in those processes to go and find an object or an artifact from um, their bioregion that somehow had some significance, but that they could use to introduce themselves. And um, it's amazing to see what that does because it it it's a storytelling device, but it also becomes then a symbol. And sometimes in the process of sharing that, so there's a listening component, there's a storytelling component, you start to see things you hadn't seen before. But in the process of doing that, the symbol of some things start to really stand out as becoming more and more powerful. And the more we do, you know, creative processes like that, um, and, you know, changing those processes up and helping us to see from a multifaceted way um, allows us to kind of enter into the spirit of what that is starting to unlock for us. And when we start to feel what it's unlocking, it becomes easier to see what we're missing in the other end of the continuum. And I really, really don't want to denigrate the the whole continuum because they all have their place. It's just we've got to we've got to improve what's on the other end of the continuum. Yeah, I love that. And I wonder, Claire, could you speak a bit more to like maybe have or give a particular example of some some creative process that you led and that kind of really, you know, helps for people to sort of, you know, get closer to the topic and to each other as as part of that process? Um, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes talking about the examples are going to maybe even sound a little bit flat because sometimes I can't even remember the details of them. I just know that they would be, um, if it was children and youth, sometimes we would ask, we would do some storytelling. And then um, I think it's always about the stories that start to surface um, in the process of doing some kind of storytelling. And then using some kind of creative process. So one of them, for example, was um, uh, they were asked to um, do parts of the fruits of a of this tree that was part of um, doing 
um, oh god, uh, sort of um, sort of inter intergenerational, um, and um, you know everyone's acceptable. I'm sorry, I'm just losing, not thinking of the words, but. Um, each fruit was supposed to represent, it was going to be kind of a creative vehicle for them being able to just do something that was that was calling to them. So they get to do their own creative expression on that that piece. It's just kind of almost like a craft object or an arting object. Um, and there's some skill and there's just fun in being able to do that together. And then um, with the help of the older teens, I I pulled that together. And so as the community artist, I would, um, I'd use my skill set to be able to pull it together so that it looked like something that they felt proud of. I would make sure that they were involved as much as possible. But um, so, and then once that's finished and put up for the community to, to see, there's a sense of pride that happens from the kids um, seeing their part that they had worked on. And so that can take all kinds of forms. Um, in a way, it's not as interesting to sort of, like, you know, this mono, there's all kinds of creative techniques, felting and monoprinting and um, like a good sort of whatever, painting. Um, that's not what's as interesting. It's them seeing themselves in the process of having um, participated and seeing the story in some way reflected um, it's so that, um, yeah, so that they see themselves part of that. And, and the other thing is like the sense of pride that people take. I mean, they will bring, because I would, you know, I'd be there working on it and I'd have groups of people coming by and it's their, their aunties and their friends that they're coming to show this thing that they had worked on because it's actually an artifact that can be seen. And I also just want to bring in music and poetry and things that are a little more ephemeral, just how those things, when they are working together with the visual arts, um, drama as well, um, add other dimensions and layers and sort of a celebratory a sense that, um, yeah. And, and one other piece to that is not allowing the actual art to be too precious. So it's kind of a vehicle. And so maybe I'll bring this in right now. And I'd love you both to jump in on this. But um, uh, I a lot of those art pieces, I would actually recycle. And sometimes bits and pieces of that art would be seen in the next piece that I would make, especially if it's with a particular community um, and they see it. But it's A, I would... You know, they're, they're materials tied up in those art pieces. Um, sometimes those were like perfect platforms for the next piece, so I didn't have to rebuy it. But um, but it's also, uh, there's something about not allowing the object to be the thing that becomes precious because a whole other energy starts to happen when it becomes precious. Plus it starts to get damaged and looks a little shabby and also, the freshness of the ideas kind of start to fade. So it's great to be able to carry forward the symbolism and re reinterpret that. Um, yeah. I think there's like um, an importance in kind of like some of the things that you're kind of bringing up for me are 
around my kids and how they experience the world and um they've been well one of them's only 18 months but the other one is six years old and he's never been to school he's been completely unschooled his whole life so he doesn't have any concept that music and art and poetry are separate things so for him that is just a way of communicating with life and that's it he just kind of doesn't separate them into things he's good at or things he's bad at or anything like that and um yeah so I think there's that aspect that kind of our culture likes to separate everything out into boxes in a way that isn't doesn't serve us or the earth and um and also this kind of like beauty of just like kids can just kind of hold this kind of creative energy in a way that we kind of unlearn as we get older that we kind of that I've spent like the last four years trying to get back to how I was when I was a kid when I had that pure kind of wholehearted connection to being creative and to nature and to everything that that holds in that relationship um because I felt like I became so distant from it and um yeah seeing that in the kids when you were doing that community art project how did you feel about how do you feel about doing it with kids compared to doing it with adults I suppose is my question yeah that's a great question and I just loved your what you were saying yeah I mean kids are just so and I mean I'm so grateful that there are people doing what you're doing um because absolutely not separating it out and before I go to that I just wanted to add one other piece in and that is um, the idea of having, you know, community meals as well um, integrated into that um, because there's something creative about the food and the coming together and sort of making it so that it's not one or the other. It's actually all of those pieces. Like what are the things that are, um, yeah, because food brings people together like nothing else. And if it's local and tastes good, that's even better. So um yeah, I think kids are, um, they really help to kind of, um, they break down the barriers and they make it okay for the adults because the adults, by the time we're adults, we tend to be pretty, um, we're so scared of actually screwing up what we're doing and people feel their most common comment is, I'm not creative, I can't do anything like that. And, it, you know, and some people just don't get over that. But I think the other thing is, is that the more we feel that we can see, well, the more we can see ourselves as part of the creative process um, and see ourselves like actual pieces of art that have either got our ideas integrated or things that we've worked on, um, it starts to make us feel that we're actually, um, we're part of the whole process. It's not um, outsource to an expert which is what we've done in our society and it's like don't sing in a choir if you can't sing don't paint and you know it's not acceptable for a gallery and all of that stuff is very toxic 
And it's not to denigrate the people who've got those skills. It's just that, um, yeah, as again, it's all on one end of the continuum. <laughs> yeah. But so, it's, yeah. Also, it's also like what traditionally our ancestors used to connect to connect to each other and to the earth. Like not caring whether or not your singing voice is like good enough and going to sit under a tree and sing to that tree. That's gonna be a more connecting experience than if you're you only ever sing if you wanna be on on a TV show or like if you're good enough to be on a TV show or something. So like we almost like self-edit ourselves out of these kind of amazingly spiritually connecting experiences um, through this kind of programming that we've had where we have to be only really good at it, experts kind of make money from it, all of that stuff. You just have to be good to do it in the first place when actually you can be bad at it and just really love doing it. <laughs> and yeah, I, yeah, sir, I just wanted to really point out because this is something really important that I think is also at the core of regeneration, you know, like that you point out, Claire, as well, too, Sarah, like the aspect um, of for people seeing their contribution reflected into something bigger, um, a larger purpose, and just realizing that, you know, they part of their unique contribution and speaking up in, in, in one way or another is reflected in a whole. That's like such an important way to to really make agency become visible. Um, and that element of, of participation into this this bigger thing, I find is so fundamental in any regenerative process. Um, not just like in words, but also yeah, directly visible, whether it's in organizations or communities, people often feel like they're asked to contribute, but then at the end of the day, it's still people at the top deciding like what the reality that what their reality will look like. So yeah, this this sense of agency and participation that can be that people can experience as part of this creative process, as being part of this creative process is so crucial. Yeah. I I wanted to feed in on that um, because there's another part that I feel is really important, and that is we're very stiff in our bodies. I mean, it just adds right into it, but we're very stiff in our bodies. And especially, um, you know, I we had um, a woman at the um, – there was a faith community that I was working with as a community for a long time. She was a jazz musician. And um, she trained under Oscar Peterson. She's quite large and she just had a lot of personality. She was very, very forceful, actually. And, um, but amazing. And lots of musicians, she was um, really liked to jam with her. So they would just come. And um, she would stand up in the middle of like singing whatever it was. And she played a whole variety of music. It was one of the things that was really nice. It was not church music. It was just like whatever was appropriate to the theme of what was being talked about. And she would stand up and she'd say, what are you people doing? Like, you're, you're singing like white people. <laughs> just kind of relax. And um, I, uh, you know, growing up in South Africa, one of the things that really struck me was noticing that people, um, especially the indigenous people, 
uh, they didn't even need to have music and someone would start to kind of just click their fingers and someone else would start to sort of say, sing something. And within a very short period of time, it wasn't everywhere, but it happened often enough. There was this rhythm and the singing that would happen that was like complete strangers, but they all kind of connected in. And um, and I remember seeing this little, like almost two-year-old in this very rural area and could barely walk. And he was just kind of like, he had this jive going. And I just remember thinking, wow, like that's amazing. Um, and I think kids are more like that maybe these days than they were when I was growing up. But just ah, that 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 connection is just so um, connection to your body that just makes you feel good. Like I think that there is joy that is very very um, available if we create the conditions. And as soon as we put those restrictions on, everyone kind of tightens up and they and it's way less available. So I think there's a part of that as well. <clears throat> I think there's a big part here about um, kind of how humans are ritualistic and how we haven't, um, particularly in like our cultures where potentially they were super religious but in a very specific way and now people are kind of moving away from that and now they're kind of leaving it with like um, a kind of spiritual void almost of like where there is a lack of culture where there isn't the ritual where there isn't the singing that was previously dedicated to religion um and so now people are trying to reclaim that for themselves not in the name of a sky god or something but in the name of yeah agency and all of the things that you talked about and I think like a huge part of regenerative culture and art is ritual and that that will help us to unlock all of these things you talk about and especially with our with when we use our bodies and our voices and our imaginations all together in community and actually, just speaking to that, the, um, we've spoken at the Culture Centre. I mean, one of the big focuses for us is it, um, making sure that ritual is, is there um, and celebration. And one of the pieces that feels really alive and important to all of us is um, when we, we're planning the rituals is um, that that people have a sense that they can enter in, um, that it, that they don't feel excluded, that it's uh, somebody who has some experience and expertise leading it, that, yes, that, that that design is really important and there is some skill that makes a difference. But um, we all need to be able to step into these things so that we can actually take them away and reintroduce them to our own communities. Um, yeah, so I, 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 yeah, just that follows on. Yeah, and that's something I think we've been talking 
a lot about within the culture center because you know we're sort of all just relearning how to hold ceremony how to hold rituals to like sort of remember how our ancestors used to do it and sort of apply it to you know modern day context with, which does look different so rituals in that way might also shift and that's that's okay it's more about being the awareness of a ritual um and and holding space to sort of you know continuously reaffirm a relationship that we have towards the world towards each other um yeah and i just wonder maybe like what is because i can imagine people coming in from like a more traditional arts background this might sound like we're you know it's 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 a big leap of faith or like a big change in how they would see or look at their own sort of profession or their own occupation and then I wonder like how what is the role that that artists play play in like bringing more awareness or practice around ritual and ceremony um how can we yeah help make people more familiar with that or integrated within our culture that of of art and creativity well I you know the work that I've done has um uh often uh, I would be part of meetings and um particularly if I'm working with with a community and often I chose to work with faith communities like people who were open-minded and really um really on a sort of path of questioning and I found because they were communities that 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 knew each other and worked together so they were um as opposed to groups of people who were um, not as connected, might be working through a process, that that continuity wasn't there. So the ones that I found really exciting to work with were the often faith communities, not not exclusively. But um, but if I was part of, uh, say, book study groups or um, working through whatever the learning process was, and just paying attention to the conversations and what was starting to stand up, um, I, I, as um, an artist in residence in one of these communities, I would produce a piece of art that would become the backdrop for um, me for the ceremony over a longer period of time. And to me, it just kind of the thing that people would come up to me often and say. They would come and say, I never noticed that or that thing was sort of caught my eye today. And it just, for me, the art isn't the thing, but it's kind of something that sort of helps to hold what it, it holds the sense that the community is represented and they see themselves reflected. They know that they're valued and, um, and it helps them to, it reminds them about, um, the, the things that hold us together. So, uh, and art is just celebratory. I mean, I think that you can't, um, the, it, art carries emotional pieces with it. And so it's actually hard to talk about it in words because a lot of stuff is actually something that we feel when we're immersed in it. So it helps us enter into that space especially when it's collective. And so, um, 
Yeah, and just one other piece is when the music, I, I mean, I'm going to just give an example that I think everyone could relate to is when we sing together and, um, and there's sometimes a note that everyone feels together, you can't, you can't plan that. It just happens, but everyone kind of feels it and it's almost like a chill that happens. And um, there's a sense of having been together that is just an experience that you have to have been there. And sometimes it's the integration of all of the other arts that have actually helped to bring that about too. Not necessarily, but it all works together. So, yeah, I don't know if you've got something to add. I'm sure you both have something to add to that. I think the two things that I've always been interested in as an artist are connecting and imagination and those are the two things that we're going to need to prioritize to regenerate the earth those are the things that are also really kind of scarce at the moment kind of coming out of um, a pandemic and like all of this stuff connection is something that needs to be nurtured like a and like cared for and imagination like wow like it's something that people tend to outsource at the moment you know like instead of sitting and imagining something for yourself you can just pop on a tv or something and um not ever have to really imagine anything for yourself so how as an artist do we I think our role is to kind of cultivate those two things to nurture them to kind of grease the wheels of that creative process for everybody almost um at the same time you know there's an emotional process that we're going through whilst we're in planetary collapse which like in order for us to kind of move forward into the future we're going to need that kind of imagination connection and that scaffolding to kind of get us there um if you cannot imagine a future that is hopeful or connecting or any of that stuff then it's going to be harder to get there whilst also you're not gonna you know there's also kind of like using art to help people grieve there's using art to like all of those things that you talked about emotionally um to support people's emotions through this time so there's so much that an artist can do I think at this time absolutely I, uh, um, I mean, if I think about the role that advertising plays and, um, even actually, I'm going to say that a lot of the, the movies are a form of propaganda and advertising. You know, a lot of the military, I mean, the, the video games too are actually funded by the military or funded by like special interest groups. They are using huge amounts of imagination. And they're co-opting people to do things that are basically going to create profit or something that someone wants you to do. 
And, um, and if you think about the amount of money that goes into that, like there's, and then you think that what is the, like, who are the people that are trying to do this for the good of the, of a society that kind of helping them hold the center for what gives us a sense of meaning and belonging? Like, what do we do? It's like we've completely neglected that space. It's all outsourced and it's going on. That imagination's going on all around us. And it's what's driving the destruction. Um, and so, like, how do we reclaim that? Uh, and honestly, I, I do think that people need to, it needs to be something that, again, sparks um, something of excitement and some energy from people. But they need to see themselves. They need to see themselves and they need to feel like it wasn't that hard a barrier to be there, you know, that it, or that there isn't a barrier to their being seen, that they're good enough as they are. Um, I, there's such a, I mean, the whole education system kind of divides the winners and losers, the job situation, winners and losers, um, your economic status, you know, again. And so I think more and more people are feeling like they're, they're on the loser end and disenfranchised. And um, yeah, I just, uh, to me, this could be really, really powerful. It, it is powerful when it's used, but it's, I, I, I'm going to say in Western industrialized societies, I've seen, I haven't seen this uh, community art used um, enough. And sometimes it's a someone gets funding and they do this project, but it's missing some of the heart. Um, they have been there are wonderful projects. I'm not saying that they aren't wonderful projects, but sometimes I've seen them where they're kind of like creative exercises and people talk about imagination and creativity, but they don't really understand about the heart. The process that the people, you know, when people come together and you start to see the potential of the room starting to ignite, that's what needs to be captured in the art. That's where the imagination is. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah, just, just to kind of red flag that is that it's not, um, sometimes we sort of, we, we latch onto these, it's like these, these ideas, like community art can kind of help do that. Um, if it's missing those other elements, it's not going to do that. I think we've talked before about how, essentially what we're trying to do is we've talked about the word sacred haven't we lots like in the culture center and I've said what I think um a regenerative culture is is trying to remember what is sacred about the earth and life and then finding ways to hold those things with reverence and respect within community. And um, yeah, and I think that that is a role that like the arts can play really hugely, like holding something that is sacred with reverence and respect. What do you think about that, Claire? Oh, no, I, you said that so beautifully and I'm so happy you you, you brought that in there when any of these processes, 
you know, I, every time I observed if they were missing the sacred, but something that grounded them into that, um, it didn't matter how imaginative and creative and successful the 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 whatever the installation, whatever it was, if it didn't have that, it kind of had limited capacity. It was like a nice and and it ticked all the boxes of successful, and yet it didn't it it, it didn't do that thing that when I've when I've been part of um, projects where. Um, yeah, community art projects where they really have had that. Like it'll be years later and I'll bump into people and they'll come and want to tell me their story because it was so, it had such an impact on them. And it's, you know, it's not, and the thing is, it's not the art. The art was part of it, but it was how they felt, how they experienced others, how they saw themselves as part of something else. It's not something, it's like so complex. And and yet at the same time it's not that it's not that difficult to do, um, but it has to have the right elements and the right intention. But the sacred, if it's missing the sacred, it that it, that's what holds the center. Yeah, and and I think that the connection to to the land, to the the sense that um, things in right relationship. Um, it's very, um, I don't know what the word is, like a fractal, like it's sort of, there's a, there's a, there's a center that kind of in right relationship starts to ripple out. And those pieces like the land and, um, yeah, the sacred are other things that, um, yeah, that's, that's what it needs. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because if you think about kind of, mainstream culture for the last like 30 years or so we've been looking outwards from the earth we've been wanting to go up into space and like I talked earlier I mentioned sky gods like we've wanted to kind of go into the sky all the time like and that seems so literal to me now like thinking about it like we sort of held that as that was what we thought was sacred but actually the thing that is sacred is to be on the ground, on the land, and to like hold that with reverence. So we haven't had these cultural kind of inputs to hold us there. Everything's been off in space. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to know what, what you think too, Nils. Uh, to me, being present to what is in front of us, like what's, what does our food taste like? Just being present to where did it come from? Um, but being in the moment, because um, I think we we tend to abstract things so much in our society. We tend to kind of um, either be in the past and regret or whatever, or thinking towards the future, but we're not actually in the present. And so that actually creating practice, I mean, which is why ritual is so important, because you're coming together. And you're, you can't catch up on ritual later. You don't watch a recording so much. I mean, maybe there are elements of it, but it's, um, it's actually being present and being present together is very powerful. Um, but yeah, and I think, you know, just even the, the practice of creating art is, you know, when you're drawing something, you, 
you know, one of the first things they teach you about drawing is like you really have to pay attention to what you draw, like what's in front of you because that straight line that's sort of where a shadow is isn't really a straight. It's kind of like rounded around, you know, there's things that that are um, that you learn to be able to look at, to be able to, to that you your your brain is kind of shortchanging what's actually in front of you. And so learning to look in a way that, um, yeah, just really being present. And, um, yeah, not, not like, I think we've become this culture of um, taking photos and posting them on Instagram as if that's being present, as if that represents, like, being present, you probably won't remember to take the photograph because you're actually there. You know, the photographs are not, not important. It's just they, they, they seem to have substituted. I mean, I don't know how many things where I've been where it's like, you guys are just trying to capture this, but you're not really here. Like when you go to a fireworks display or a gig or something and people are filming it through their mobile phone and you're like, ah, just be here. Yeah. 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 And I think you, you touch upon something that I find really important myself, you know, just thinking about the sacred and arts, I think often just us expressing ourselves in a way that feels authentic is for me already part of the sacredness, you know, because often what we're expressing, I think, is not not only just part of us, we're also expressing, you know, this whole cosmos that we are part of. Or um, I think for me, photography, for example, is really, for me, an art of perception and like, you know, going into a place where you might have walked past like a thousand times, but then some someday there is something that really draws in your attention and there is sort of this attraction to come closer and to observe it and to see how it interacts with um, other elements in this space and how light and shadow sort of balance you know on off on it or uh yeah sort of to, to see the interplay and the relations between that and and you're right claire like a photograph is often not the most important thing of photography it's it's waking up to those different relations that exist in the world and engaging with them and playing with them and that sort of dance um that i find just really um calming and really brings me back into to my own rhythm um yeah so so there is this becoming present through expanding one's perception and looking in you. I think that is sort of the invitation that I often find in landscapes and in photography. I love that, Niels. And actually you bring in um, sort of that imagination and the creativity of people. But the thing is, is that I think all of us that do create also want it to be seen and and um, and sort of to, I kind of think about it as part of a conversation because how is it impacting how is it affecting the the others that see it and there's a delight in seeing others responses and did they get it oh they got it you know that one thing that they or they noticed something that as an artist you may not even have noticed coming out in it and it's curious to see what comes up but um to me when art is kind of in service of a living process, because really that is a living process. There is a sort of aliveness to the art as well, 
Whereas when it's um, sort of separated and, you know, I the thing that I find really difficult to deal with is art that's in a gallery that's kind of meant to be seen. Um, I, I, I This is something I personally struggle with. Um, I know that it, it's really great to have your work shown well so that it can be seen and observed. So there is a place for that. And I don't, you know, disregard that. But where it's kind of the art is objectified in a way and there's this kind of, um, it just feels like it's separate from the conversation. And the number of times that I've been asked to be part of shows where that's what's happening and I just, there's no conversation. I just, about how it's kind of part of a more alive process. I just find that really difficult. I, and I actually, just because I struggle with it so much, I just choose not to be part of that. Um, you know, others are going to feel that differently and that's their, their road to go on. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's what was coming up for me. For me, but, sorry. How useful um, people's creative processes are for bringing that novelty and that new way of seeing something that sparks something else. And that to me is what's exciting about what you were describing, Niels. I think that I completely agree with the new way of seeing stuff. I'm going to bring a new piece in that kind of, con not contrast, but shows a sort of paradox in how I'm approaching things, I think, which I just want to sort of say out loud, is that one of the things that I've been holding is that there is a huge kind of like intergenerational amnesia around the stories that our ancestors told us and those culture, that culture that we've lost around things like the land we live on and um, the kind of, I guess, the gods and the spirits that live there and things like that. Those sorts of stories that told us, don't chop that tree down because that's actually really important for the ecosystem. But they were told in a way that, you know, was mythological so people went oh that's not rational we're rational and just kind of chop the tree down instead of going you know maybe our ancestors were giving leaving this message for us like to remember that this is something that is sacred so there's a kind of there's looking at things with new eyes but there's also reclaiming the eyes of our ancestors do you see what I mean totally yeah yeah I uh well, you know, I, I it's not <clears throat> they called the wisdom traditions, like the Judaic and Christian um and Islamic um faiths are a collection of stories. And they were never meant to be taken literally, most of those stories. They were meant to just carry some threads of what was that wisdom. And um yeah, so I just, you know, I honestly I've I feel that a lot of um, my family came out of a Christian tradition. Um, I think a lot of that has been, a lot of those stories have been um, sort of um, corrupted because they've been taken too literally or their, their interpretation has been used for great harm. And um, 
And so there's, but I also know that there is great wisdom held in them. So I, I don't feel like much as I feel the corruption, there's something really, really harmful about throwing it all out because so what do you retain? There's so much there. And so then I look for examples like Thomas Berry, who um, came out of, he was a Catholic theologian who, um, you know, I've got a friend who who worked with him. And um, apparently he said um, there, I'm just going to try and remember this, there are two great, two great books. And the first is the earth. And the second is the, well, he was saying the second is the Bible, but, you know, that was way back then. But to me, um, a lot of what he was looking at was our relationship with the earth and that we'd forgotten that. And like, how can you have, like, what happened to the wisdom if you forget our relationship to the earth and to each other, which, you know, um, yeah, so totally. I think there is that looking back and and I have a quick story because it kind of relates to Joe, the cover art that was used um, in um, on uh, the design pathway for regenerating earth. Um, I was doing some coursework with Rianne Eisler and um, she, uh, we were, um, Rianne Eisler's work, if you don't know about it, she'd written The Chalice and the Blade and looking at societies and um, uh, um, just that we hadn't always been these systems of domination and um and these arche- these archaeological digs were showing up these um partnership societies maria gimbatas was the archaeologist that was looking at these connections and anyway the earth goddess featured really strongly yeah. and Someone during the course put this um, animated gift together of these um, beautiful um, ancient statues, these earth goddess statues doing these dances and really sort of some of them quite sensual and some of them just very provocative. And it was just kind of fun. And I I remember sort of being quite inspired by that. And then um, I thought I would take some of those images of the earth goddesses dancing. and um, And that's what's at the center. And um, yeah, and then I, but I just wanted to share that with you was I, to me, um, and so that piece is called Earth Dance, but it was trying to symbolize that um, the sense that we were connected to the earth and we need to remember that history. And what um, Rianne Eisler and her work tried to show was that um, the the more violent societies that came in and tried to dominate and then replace the culture had been so threatened by those societies um, that were able to cooperate that they had tried to destroy all evidence that they'd existed, which is why the evidence of those societies was found in like a cave or in um, the Namahrabi scrolls um, that were the biblical. But how we've kind of been fed the story that we're, you know, we're a dog eat dog world and we're only going to be the survival of the fittest. That narrative has dominated for so, so long. And we need those other narratives to remember that we can be, you know, cooperative human societies and that we have been that before. Yeah. Yeah. I will definitely need to make sure that we put the 
your artwork, Claire, in the show notes so everyone can see it. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, I really like this idea of like art, seeing art as just questioning current ways that we relate to the world, to each other, and also sort of inserting hints of what a different way of relating could look like. And I and I really like that. Um, and another question that, that feels quite alive for me right now, and that sort of um, circles around in many of the groups that I'm part of, is that does art need to be useful? And I think maybe we do have our opinions on this, but um, does art, my question is, does art always need to be useful? And does it need to show that, um, because I feel like a lot of focus nowadays on, on, for example, foundations looking into working with artists is like, is this quantifiable? Does this lead to a certain effect? Which to me, intuitively, I feel that often the effects that art have really challenged this paradigm of like the controllable outputs that the, or the, the impacts that a piece of art has because it's so subtle sometimes. Like I could go to a to a gallery or to yeah to any space where art is presented and see something that is totally unrelated to some some bigger question on re regeneration that I've been talking uh, thinking about, but it would still manage to do something with me or make me question certain things unintentionally by the artist sometimes. And so so the question is, yeah does art by nature have to be useful or um, yeah maybe i'm really curious to hear what do you think about that um i think what kind of came up for me there was probably 90 percent of the art i make nobody sees it's just for me as a part of my spiritual practice to just feel connected and just to like have a conversation with life and that's it so no it doesn't have to be useful and in fact we'll all be better off if we kind of let go of that idea because we'd all be able to access this amazing power that creativity has to connect us to the earth that's my point on that mm. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Like, I think art is on a continuum. And, um, you know, I've seen a, just a beautiful project where um, there were some potters, local potters, made these gorgeous bowls that were then used as a fundraiser. And they were filled with soup as a community feast. So there was kind of a usefulness. They weren't, some of them were maybe more artisans. And I guess when I'm thinking about artisans as opposed to artists, like to me, um, you're using your skills, but not necessarily doing something that was like very unique to that piece. The and that's even like you know, there's a big big conversation around what is the difference, and I don't really think that's yet useful. I just, but anyway, um, yeah, I think I do think though that paying attention to the aliveness is what's important to me and um and sometimes the aliveness is in the spark that it gives to the creator and that is 
creating energy in the creator, which allows them to do and be more of who they were meant to be in the world that, you know, reaching their potential. And sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes the spark or the aliveness is what it does to a group of people. Like, I think it just, it depends. There's no polarized sort of view on, like, I really think it needs to fit onto that continuum and to not try to put it into one or the other. But I do think that paying attention to the aliveness of what it's doing and, you know, putting in just one other piece to that, which is more practical, I it does kind of make me wonder. Some art um, uses quite toxic processes. Um, what are we doing when we do that? And uh, and do we have a responsibility? So if we're if that's the way that that's only going to be able to be brought into being is using those processes, then I don't know. Thinking about all of that, it's not just um, it's not just the concept. It's not just how it looks and everything. But what are the pieces, the elements that went into it? And I just want to. It reminds me of. Um, Robin Wall Kimmerer wrote this incredible chapter on um, basket weaving and the black ash and um, the comment of the um, one of the pigeon family um, who were sort of teaching basket weaving said um, talks about 80% of basket weaving happens before you even start weaving. It's the cultivating of the tree. It's the... Um, you know, by having cultivated there for generations, that grove of trees is more resilient, is healthier, is more easily able to be harvested. Whereas where they haven't been harvested, they, you know, they're um, dying off. There's the sound of the of the preparing the wood in the community when it's alive. So there's all this other stuff happening that when we just go to the art store, purchase the the materials, maybe they're toxic. Um, Ah, that we don't even think about. So I just wanted to bring that element in too, that kind of goes along with some of the mindset that has come with that art on that professionalized, commodified end of the continuum where we're disconnected from the whole way that the materials, we arrived at the materials we used. Yeah, and I think um, that's one of the things that I've been trying to do is just like uh, use natural dyes, get my hands into some actual clay, like weave things with grass, you know, make sculptures out of sticks with the kids, you know. It's like, what are we doing to add and kind of again like we often use it to hold a sacred space so we might kind of create an altar or give some gifts to a tree or something so yeah I think that's a really important and interesting question it's something that I've been holding for like a really long time like but also that's again kind of going back to the ancestor thing where like our ancestors knew all this stuff. They knew how to weave a basket. They knew how to make their own clothes and make fabric out of grass or whatever. We don't have those skills anymore. So 
yeah, as a part of that, I think we do have to try and gain these skills. Um, yeah. That weaves beautifully back into the ancestors, as you were saying. You know, the, yeah. And then I'm I'm kind of just thinking about, you know, we do have, and and I wholeheartedly agree that we do have lost some practices of our ancestors, but just like also looking at the other side. Do you think there are things that we now are capable of doing that can also help us further or usher into a future that's more regenerative? Um, for example, I'm thinking of, and I'm just throwing this in the, the chat just to kind of see where it leads us, but there is now more possibilities to design and 3D print certain certain sculptures that serve as um, houses for insects or um, sort of that are based on the way that nature would design and learning from that in order to to sort of be co-creative partners of, of more than human uh, beings. So I'm just curious to see if there's any things that maybe we do manage to to do in this day and age that helps us um yeah sort of in this more um to, to create in a more ecologically responsible and, and regenerative way you know I, what's coming up for me is thinking anything anything that we do that's on the on the the edge where there is no roadmap and we're pushing into it. That's creative, um, and I'm sort of thinking of myself on um, and my response to the cryptocurrency and sort of engaging in all of that. And start as you start as we started to connect to people who were working in that crypto space with Earth Regenerators as part of those um, fundraising and just starting to think into that space and how it could be used actually in service of earth regeneration. I realized like that was way out of my comfort zone. I I had all this um, baggage attached to it, negative baggage that I needed to get over. And I realized, wow, that opened up a whole bunch of stuff I hadn't thought about. And so whether it's 3D printing or into that realm, to me, they're all, there's there's creativity that's going on. And in some ways, people who are working in that and, you know, often geeking out, they're putting in a lot of time and they're sort of doing stuff. Somebody's going to do something that's creative in that area that's going to create new pathways, new ways of seeing. So, you know, it's like it's unlimited where that can go. But I think um, so. Yeah, can't even imagine what the things are that could happen. But just to acknowledge that creativity happens and crypto can be used in a very destructive way. And it can be used in very regenerative ways. And I think it's like that discernment process at every and anything that you're using. What are the what are the unintended consequences? How much are we thinking through those things? And, you know, and sometimes we need to use those materials that aren't great for the rest of the environment. But 
we've kind of considered it within a bigger picture. There's something else that's going on. It's not just so, yeah, I'm also not into, um, uh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm just going to put this in there, but I often will have people apologizing to me, like, especially if I'm doing natural dyeing and fabric and, and what have you, and I've, there's a lot of emphasis on that. And I'll have people apologize to me, ah, use this like toxic dye and what have you. And, um, and I'm just, well, for what you were doing and what, like I don't need to get into somebody else's judgment pool, and I, the same thing for any of those materials. They need to have thought about it in terms of their own process and the integrity that they're holding. I think that's the key: is the integrity of what is it that you're aligning yourself with, and how are you, how are you connecting all of the pieces, including materials. So yeah, I I make computer games. And that's already come up in this conversation in kind of a, a negative light in that some computer games companies get paid to make kind of un, unethical games that support a culture that isn't um, uh, regenerative. Whereas what we try and do is make ethical games and we actually have like an ethical games manifesto that we follow. And um, my hope is that we'll be able to use that to um make games that kind of introduce some of these ideas to a new generation so I think there are ways that well also it kind of goes into the whole experience design thing that you were talking about Claire where it's like beyond just the medium like the actual um experience is the important thing and that's one of the things we do with our computer games is we create an atmosphere in the room. That's what we're trying. That's kind of what we're designing. We're not designing the computer game. We're designing the context that people experience the computer game in. So the medium becomes less important, I suppose, if that's what you're trying to do is create a regenerative kind of healing, transformational experience. Um, yeah, so that's my answer to that question. Yeah, it was great. Great to go into that, actually. I really, I really love how Sarah you put sort of the the focus on sort of the experience you create, almost like what we would traditionally see as outside of the game, rather than sort of the experience and the story in the game. Um, yeah, like in what what is the context in which we we play games and what is it that follows after, you know, in what way can video games be conversation starters? Because I remember going, going when I was like a teenager, like spending just such a big part of my life playing video games. And it wasn't just about the game, it's about the conversations you had afterwards, the side quests you played, which monsters you defeated. Um, so yeah, like how, how do we, as, as, experienced designers whether you're designing you know a community process art process or um, a video game how can that have sort of ripple effects in people's social contacts that can invite people to think about differently about the world or just really spark conversations that sort of need to happen and i think yeah video games is also just such a accessible way to to do that yeah. Niels, actually something comes up for me when you were saying that is um designing any process 
I know that when I've been invited into um, communities, especially communities that I may not actually have a lot of contact with before, I feel really flat. I don't know a whole ton about them. I don't know the history. Even if someone's given me like a biography or some, you know, stuff to read or, you know, hear. <clears throat> when things really come alive for me is when there are um, community processes where people are talking and the aliveness starts to kind of bubble up. And that's what, and there's, and if it's just, and the other piece is, is, is that um, it's, it's most alive when it's the, it's the people who are part of that community or part of that um, process, as opposed to the spokespeople for those places. There's something that kind of deadens it when it's reduced to that. And it's even more dead if it's just left to the artist to go and try and be the creative person. And I think too often we outsource to those people trying to serve those roles and we don't create the conditions for what's really, um, yeah, what really needs to surface. So I just, um, yeah. And maybe to sort of, um, I think we're we're getting uh, on time, and maybe it's to sort of wrap up our conversation because I think we can still, you know, talk about this for for hours. But where in your own creative practice or within in the culture center do you see sort of the next creative edge or the new uh, something else you still wish to call? Uh, into being, um, either within your own context, personal context, or within the culture center? Um, I think <clears throat> I think that um, having more of a way of showcasing some um, some of the creativity and creative processes and and art and that that um, is bringing things alive for people in um, in the earth regeneration domain, so that they see what others are creating. I think that that could help to prompt um, more, um, and so that might be a gallery space. Um, but uh, but the other thing is is actually engaging people, just like Benji did most recently inviting people to bring the artifact and that to me that was what sort of prompted people to start to see that there was this creativity that they had something to like it really starts to unlock stuff so to allow so the digital I mean we're we're on a digital format so let's use that in the best way that we can but so that people start to experience the possibility of what can be unlocked and maybe maybe showcasing some some community art, actual community art pictures, processes, so people can start to imagine imagine the scaffolding that can be used um, with the use of community art to hold um, th that vision. Like really, I see this community art processes as holding the vision, holding um, that as we talked about all through this conversation, 
what is it that that connects us and where do we see ourselves so when people can see that um, as scaffolding I think it becomes something that's available to more people to use yeah I think for me it's about getting more involved with people who are actually doing earth regeneration and helping them to tell their stories and making that more visible in a more in a less kind of bloggy social media way and a more um heart-based art-based way how about you Niels have you got some thoughts yeah um I really love what Sarah says and like feel like there's something about artists and being more sensitive to sort of the let's say the ebbs and flow of life and sort of to have that really deeper awareness of what is happening in society and, and and to the environment and I think from a storytelling point of view I'm just really fascinated and eager to think more about how can we amplify the stories of regenerative projects the the work that is happening on the ground how can we also listen in and tune into the stories that are happening in a bioregion um, rather than just focusing on the work of one organization that is sort of decontextualized. So how can we embed the stories we tell within ecologies and geographies and also allow other people, other beings to sort of tell their story that might have not been included in sort of the dominant narratives in the past. So, um, yeah, this is this is quite prominent for me and something I also uh, wish to a practice that I wish to deepen within the culture center um, and that we've already embarked upon um, with Sarah. So, yeah, like, really looking forward to sharing more about that um, in the future. Niels, I just want to say I so love that you brought up how it helps to reveal what is often invisible to us. Um, yeah, new ways of looking. And the arts the arts are brilliant at actually being able to do that. Um, yeah, I just, there was a um, an art show that was curated or that was just called for. They just showed everything from um, the couch and watershed last year. And it was amazing because, you know, you had... Like it was focused on the watershed, which drew attention to the watershed, and um, and it was a way of looking at things that maybe people weren't seeing before. And gosh, you know, you should probably do that repeatedly in different ways because it'll reveal different things. So, yeah. Awesome. Shall we um do our closing now? Okay. As we stand facing the door of light and vines. We step back through into the valley. When you are ready, state what you would want the earth to know that you have learned here, allowing it to echo around the valley. I think for me, my words would be holding you sacred. say infinite potential 
together. Seeing the sacred in communion. Beautiful. So we walk through the door and we close it behind us. We know that as we ascend the hills of the valley to go our separate ways, we are left with a sense of coherence, love and gratitude for each other that weaves across the whole earth and leaves us with a dense, deep sense of knowing that we aren't actually separate at all. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please do come join us in the Culture Centre and the Earth Regenerators sometime. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This podcast is a decentralized platform for the regenerative community. Anybody on Earth Regenerators can propose or record their own episode. So if you're already on Earth Regenerators, contact Jacob Seidler if you have an idea for a future interview or audio essay. And if you're not on there yet, come and join us for regular learning journeys on the pathway to regeneration, inspiration from the many regenerative projects reporting there, and a wonderful community woven around mutual support. Just enter Earth Regenerators into your search engine and find a website or follow the link in the description. Let's regenerate the Earth. <laughs>